Welcome to Growth Mindset University. My name is Jordan Paris, 21-year-old author and host of this show. And with this show, you and I will embark on a journey to learn the things that we should have learned in school but did not, so that we may take control of our lives while fulfilling our vision of success. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. All right, my guest today is Alan Stein Jr. He's a TEDx speaker, author, and former performance coach with a knack for improving organizational performance, cohesion, and accountability. He spent over 15 years working with the highest performing basketball players on the planet, including NBA superstar Kevin Durant. He now travels the world teaching organizations how to utilize the same strategies in business business that elite athletes use to perform at a world-class level. Alan's new book, Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets of the Best of the Best, is a must-read for executives, entrepreneurs, and business leaders. And here he is, Alan Stein Jr. Welcome to Growth Mindset University, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me, man. You you nailed that intro. You make me sound really important. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, no, got to give credit where credit's due because you have done some incredible things and I think one of the coolest things that I've seen from you is a quote of yours, uh, you know, front and center in Penn State football's locker room, right? Yeah, it, that was really cool. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate to have so many cool experiences over my life. And yeah, that one certainly ranks towards the top uh, because I don't have any affiliation with Penn State football. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of Coach Franklin and the way that he's he's really resurrected that historic program. Um, but I, I didn't even know about the quote until a friend of mine who's a Penn State alum uh, was watching a documentary on it and it flashed up in the background and he had to rewind it and hit pause and he took a screenshot of it and sent it over to me and asked if I knew and I, and I didn't know. So I think it's really cool. And uh, I've since been in touch with coach Franklin and the team. And it, it looks like I'm going to go there in the next month or two to speak to the team, which would be just out of this world fun. That would be out of this world. That's wild. What made you work in sports? Yeah, sports has always been my number one passion. I mean, you know, I, I was involved in a lot of different things as a child, but uh, anything that involved some type of competitiveness, uh, some type of skill, and certainly some way to, uh, you know, expend physical energy I was all in for, you know, I was never really just kind of a, a, a sit down type of guy. So, uh, sport has always been a major part of my life and, you know, even more, uh, to pinpoint that even more basketball, it always ended up being the front runner of all of the different sports that I played. Uh, you know, I look back, basketball was definitely my first real identifiable passion. And I fell in love with the game at probably four or five years old. And here almost four decades later, uh, it's still a major pillar in my life. So you go from a performance coach in sports, specifically basketball, to now you're doing this with businesses and executives. And I was listening to you with our mutual friend, David Meltzer last night. And great guy, by the way, great guy. That was, that was good to watch. I was, I was, it was really fun to watch for me, especially. Um, and so what he, he had brought up a great point. It's not necessarily the, the, 
ex- executives don't care about footwork. So what are you working on? Well, yeah, my goal is to translate all of those messages and strategies and principles and mindsets and show people uh, in this case, you know, what is the footwork of what they do? What are the basic components? You know, when you, when you look at a game like basketball, uh, footwork is arguably the most foundational component because every single thing a player does starts at their feet. You know, every single shot, every single rebound, every pass, everything starts at their feet. So really great players realize that if they can master their feet and they can develop elite level footwork, then that allows them to perform all of their other skills at a much higher level. It allows them to move more efficiently on the court. It, it allows them to bulletproof their ankles and knees to be less likely to get injured. So footwork is a, is a major staple. So now my goal is to then be able to teach leaders and executives and entrepreneurs, you know, how to find, again, the footwork of what they do, you know, uh, from a leadership standpoint or from a team cohesion standpoint. You know, I found just as one example, you know, uh, anyone that's in a position of, of leadership or influence or impact that active listening is an incredibly important skill. You know, being able to listen to your colleagues and coworkers, uh, being able to listen to your customers and clients is vital for you to be uh, successful. So, you know, on some level, uh, one could make a pretty good argument that, you know, footwork is to basketball as listening is to leadership. And that was just one example of a, of a basic fundamental uh, that I highly recommend that, that leaders practice. Wow, what are some other I love the analogy how how footwork translates to listening skills. What are some other uh, trans, you know, similar translations here. Uh, self-awareness is absolutely one. Um, and that's, I, I intentionally made that the first chapter of my book because, uh, self-awareness for anyone, whether it's a basketball player or a, an executive, it's the foundation to which the rest of the house is built. And if you don't know yourself very well, it's going to be very hard for you to excel uh, in anything. I mean, whether we're talking straight business or we're talking about relationships, uh, so self-awareness and and certainly self-awareness parallels with having a high emotional intelligence. And there's a whole you know list of things that would fall under that. Uh, in fact, in a lot of my workshops, um, uh, and I just did one the other day down in Louisiana. You know, I'm in a room full of of managers, uh, people that have been given positions of authority, and I ask them to start shouting out. The, uh, the, 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 the traits of the best leaders that they've ever been around and people are shouting out stuff, you know, they have to have vision and they need to be compassionate. They have to have empathy. Uh, they have to have a great work ethic and, and they're shouting out all of the same things that, that I would imagine you and I would shout out if we created a list or, or even your listeners and I'm writing them on a big whiteboard and a black marker. And I stop when we get to about 20 or 25 of them. Uh, and then I say, okay, um, this may or may not change your answer, but now start shouting out the traits of the best teammates. Like who do you want as your colleagues and coworkers? And, and they start adding to that list and we get to about 30, 35 things on the board, uh, all of which are absolutely as right as rain. And then I pull out a red marker and say, okay, holler at which one of these has to do with IQ and tactical and technical skills. And then the room is just frozen. And, and at best, if someone had shouted out, you know, knowledge, then that one would probably be circled. Um, but really the, the, the point of this exercise is when you ask someone, what are the most important traits of leadership? What are the most important traits of being an influential and impactful teammate? They're almost all have to do with emotional intelligence. Uh, and this is in no way to diminish IQ, 
to d- diminish book smarts. Uh, this is not to diminish academics or or technical and technical skills. Depending on one's vocation, those things will always be important. But when it really comes down to performance, when it comes down to leadership, when it comes down to creating a winning culture, it's it slants heavily towards emotional intelligence. And the reason I bring that up to circle back to your question is the basics of being good in those areas are working on the basics of emotional intelligence. Those are the things that you need to practice if you want to play at a high level. And all of the best players and coaches I've been around, they practice the way that they want to play. You know, great coaches do as many things as they can to simulate game situations in practice so that there's a higher recall when the game actually starts. And same thing with players, you know, uh, a very mediocre player will go into the gym and, and casually shoot 500 shots, uh, an elite level player. That, that's me. Yeah. And, and that's okay. It, Cause probably yeah. I would imagine as a basketball player, it's, it's just somewhat of a hobby for you. But if your goal was yeah. to be the best you could be, then you would want to go in there and simulate game shots from game spots at game speed. You would want to, you know, uh, move to pretend, even if you're in a gym by yourself, you'd want to be able to visualize that there's a defender there and that you have to shoot with the same speed that you, excuse me, that you would during a game, uh, that you're not going to be able to just catch the ball wide open on the wing. You're actually gonna have to work to get open and great players treat their workouts as if they were a game. So, uh, emotional intelligence and everything that falls underneath that umbrella are really the basics that leaders in particular need to be practicing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can leaders practice like it's a game? How, how would you practice like it's a game? Yeah. I mean, everything. Well, first of all, every single thing that a leader does is important and, and leaders understand that intuitively. Uh, you know, one of the phrases that, that we use all the time is the unseen hours uh, and the unseen hours are, you know, just as it sounds, it's the hours when no one else is watching. You know, with a basketball player, it's when, you know, the cameras aren't rolling, uh, the cheerleaders aren't dancing, the lights are off. And that's really when you make yourself as a player. You know, I mean, certainly practices are very important. Games are when you do actually perform, but great players are built uh, in and around all of those in the gyms by themselves. And it's the same thing uh, for any business leader, uh, anyone that wants to be a successful entrepreneur. It's what you do when no one else is watching that will really lay that foundation. So all of these things that fall under emotional intelligence um, in some way, shape or form are skill sets and skill sets can be improved with purposeful practice, just like footwork can be improved, just like shooting can be improved. You know, if you want to be a better listener, then practice listening and practice every chance you get, you know, don't try to compartmentalize and say just for business, you know, try to be a more attentive listener with your spouse or significant other, try to be a more attentive listener with your children or your friends or your family uh, or your neighbors, you know, any chance you get to practice the skill of active listening you need to take it. And over time with purposeful and intentional practice, you'll become a better listener. And if becoming a better listener means that you'll become a more effective and influential leader, then these things all start to string together. So yes, absolutely. This stuff can and should be practiced on a very regular basis if you want to get good at anything. Absolutely. Who are you when nobody is watching is sort of a reoccurring theme in the podcast right now. And I think it's really important uh, I just talked to JT McCormick recently, the CEO of Scribe Media. Yeah, you know him? Uh, I know who he is. I don't know him, but yes. Certainly oh, know okay. Who he okay. Is. Yes. Yes. Great guy. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. He's, you guys should get connected. He's a, he's so fun. Um, <laughs> Scribe Media is remarkable. Uh, but, yes, exactly. They really are. Yeah. I, I want to, I'd like to work with them for my next book. So anyway, um, 
who are you when no one was is watching was a key point of his. What are some of the things that let's start with athletes? It might be a two part question. What sure. are some of the things that athletes do when nobody is watching? Well, when we're and I'll just keep it just to keep the the imagery and the visuals there. I'll just keep using elite level basketball players. I mean, for uh, because in a game of basketball, the the physical component is incredibly important. Uh, and that's not to say that it's not in business. I mean, you know, uh, having a healthy mind and a healthy body and a healthy spirit uh, is the only way I believe you can perform at a high level in anything. But in a game like basketball, you know, taking care of your body, you know, being able to do your strength and conditioning and, and maybe some yoga and some breath work and, and massage therapy and, you know, Pilates and uh, making sure that you're eating right. I mean, all of that stuff in theory happens in the unseen hours. And, you know, making sure that you're getting enough sleep, that you're tending to any nagging injuries, you're going in to get treatment. You know, all of that stuff is what allows a player to show up at practice or show up at the game to be the best versions of themselves. And that's what the players are expected to do. You know, um, I, I realize, you know, at the time of this recording, uh, it's been a little bit of an off year for LeBron. The Lakers are not going to make the playoffs. And I know people are taking shots at him, which, which stinks. But, you know, uh, for LeBron, if if he were to show, I, I, st- up- I still refuse to believe that they're not going to make the playoffs. It's like it just doesn't. Seem I know right. it doesn't seem right. <laughs> well, if if LeBron shows up to practice and you know he hasn't eaten, he hasn't hydrated, he didn't get much sleep last night, like that, that's an act of selfishness. He's he's lessening the team's chances of being successful because he made the choice not to be all in and be the best version of himself during the unseen hours. That would absolutely be an act of selfishness when you're, when you're trying to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And it's the same thing uh, with executives and, and entrepreneurs and business leaders. What are all of the things that need to be done during the unseen hours so that you can perform at your best when the lights do come on and you are you know, forward facing with a client or customer, or you are leading that team meeting. Um, so yeah, this, and, and I know it's, you know, it sounds a little bit cliche. It sounds a little bit dramatic. You know, that, that definition of character is what you do when no one is watching, but you know, there's a reason these, these cliche statements have been around longer than I have. It's because they're true. I mean, there's, there's so much truth to this and yeah, they make cool t-shirt slogans and Facebook memes, but this stuff is, is so true. And, you know, when you think about it, most of the hours that we spend are in the unseen hours, at least when we're talking about business. I mean, there's more hours when people are not watching what you're doing than they are when you, when they are watching what you're doing. And those are the ones that lay that foundation. So, uh, I'm a big believer that how you do anything is how you do everything. Uh, and it would be impossible to have negative, bad, sloppy habits, you know, during the unseen hours and then be able to perform at your best. And that's what the key is. It's it's performing at your best. There are plenty of people out there that have so much talent that they can have bad habits and they still perform at a pretty decent level when you compare them to other people. But that doesn't mean that they're the best that they're capable of. You know, they're, uh, you take a, a, an elite level basketball player, someone like uh, a Kevin Durant, you know, Kevin could probably get away with not doing so much in the unseen hours and he'd still be one of the better players in the NBA, but he wouldn't be as good as he's capable of being. And that's ultimately what all of us should be worrying about. So it's not about playing the comparison game and saying, you know, am I doing better than you? Uh, th- those things were relevant. Elite performers worry about one thing and one thing only being the best version of themselves. And they believe that if they put in the work to do that, then when someone does play the comparison game, they'll come out on top anyway. 
Well, how do you how do you keep yourself from comparing? It's so hard, especially now in a digital age where social media provides us infinite opportunity to upward and downward compare ourselves to all sorts of people, people that aren't even running the same race as us. How? Yeah. And do you- well, it's one of the biggest challenges I personally face without question. I mean, I, I have a handful of challenges, uh, no different than probably yourself or anyone else listening. Uh, and that is one of the tougher ones because, um, you know, as I, I look back at some of my own wiring, I'm a, I'm a fairly competitive person. Um, I'm kind of an inherent scorekeeper, which, um, is, is never been a very I'm, good trait of mine. It's, it's actually I'm right there with yeah, you. It, I'm the most competitive person in the world, but it, it's, it's hurt relationships <laughs> in the past when I score keep because score keep is an ultimate playing a comparison game. And so for me, the answer to how is one is having the self-awareness to acknowledge that playing the comparison game is a game that you cannot win. It, it, you absolutely cannot win. And it doesn't matter who you are. Let's even go back to LeBron. I mean, few would argue he's the best player in the world right now. And yet if you put the dot, dot, dot after that, most people will say he's not as good as Michael Jordan was. So he can't even escape the fact that he's the best player on the planet in his chosen vocation right now. And yet you can still play a comparison game where he'll lose. Uh, I mean, to to the best of my knowledge, his net worth is around a billion dollars, which I think we can all agree is pretty great. Well, I mean, that doesn't even make the the Forbes top hundred list. I can find a hundred people that make or have more than a a billion dollars of net worth. So if that's his marker of success, 2000 yeah, for that matter. He's going to feel yeah, he's going <laughs> to feel like a failure. And so for me, I have the awareness now that when I find myself playing the comparison game, when I find myself, you know, scrolling through LinkedIn and and seeing someone speaking on a bigger stage than me and and commanding a higher fee and I start to think, man, why why am I not on that stage? Why am I not making that money? I now have the awareness to kind of take a deep breath, kind of smile for a second and go, "Alan, it's irrelevant." It doesn't matter what that person's doing has nothing to do with what I'm doing. So I'm at a point now where I do compare myself a lot less frequently. uh, And when I do make that mistake and fall into that trap, I can get out of it much quicker. And, you know, here's the part that, and, and it helps because I mean, right now, you know, where we're recording this, I'm right outside of Washington, DC. And if I were to walk outside right now within 30 seconds, I could easily find someone that's taller than me, that's more handsome than I am, that's funnier than I am, that makes more money than I do, that has a bigger house than I do, has a nicer car than I do, has a hotter girlfriend, uh, makes more money, has more Instagram followers. Like if any of those things are a metric for my self-value and my self-worth, in 30 seconds, I can find someone that's doing markedly better than I am in those. And that serves no purpose. So I, I choose not to play that game and it, it, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it's, it's, it, I'm with you a hundred percent that social media makes it increasingly difficult not to play those games, but I'm getting much better at it. And I tell you, it is the most liberating feeling in the world. Just knowing that I can be myself. I can work hard to be the best that I'm capable of. And that's going to be good enough for whatever it is that I need to be happy and fulfilled and successful and significant. That's fantastic. Well, hey, I mean, it's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for just about everybody. And I want to read a quote from actually the description of your book. I I found this very interesting. The basic principles provided in Raise Your Game are simple, but not easy. 
We live in an instantly downloadable world that encourages us to skip steps. We are taught to chase what's hot, flashy, and sexy and ignore what's basic. But the basics work. They always have and they always will. I know we brushed on it earlier, but I didn't want to lose that thread and I needed to come back with that. Why? We, we talked about it a little bit, but the basics, why are they so absolutely critical? Why, like, you know, we always, uh, you know, authors are like trying to write about something new and, uh, but a lot of times it's the basics that resonate the most. You know, we're, we're, everyone's trying to come up with something new and sexy, like, you know, a new article that's never been written before. Um, like I can relate to that. Right. Absolutely. Let's get back to the basics. Well, it's, it's the most important thread to pull from that is, is a couple one. I mean, the basics do work. They always have, and they always will. That is never going to change. That hasn't changed in my lifetime and it won't change in my kid's lifetime. The basics work now, uh, understandably, um, the basics are usually somewhat mundane, somewhat monotonous, somewhat boring. Right. So they're not sexy. So in this world where we're constantly being encouraged and pushed to chase what's new and flashy, it's hard to adhere to those basics. You know, a, a basketball player going in and working on the basic fundamentals of their footwork and shooting mechanics at game speed, um, will allow them to be a great player. You know, from a fitness standpoint, I mean, on, you could achieve a very high level of fitness just by doing, you know, uh, some basic movements, some, some upper body pushes and pulls and lower body pushes and pulls, you know, you could do some pull-ups and some push-ups and some lunges, you know, you could do some stuff to elevate your heart rate, some yoga poses, and you could eat pretty well. And if you just did those things, you could achieve a pretty high level of fitness. And those are very basic things to be doing. But the key also is realizing is having the, the humility to acknowledge that the basics are not easy, that those things are not synonymous. And a lot of people think that they are, you know, um, sticking to a, a workout program three times a week for your entire life where you're doing nothing but basic movements is far from easy to do. It's why the vast majority of human beings walking the earth don't do it. So uh, learning how to never get bored with the basics and learning how to fall in love with and appreciate those basic steps is crucial for success. And, you know, even though I am a basketball guy, I, I do love football and, you know, I don't have a, a team that I follow, but I certainly tune in and watch, you know, NFL anytime I can and college football. And inevitably this happened even this past season, uh, an NFL team will lose say two or three games in a row and the head coach will come on and let's keep in mind that the head coach, uh, this is a position that only 30 people in the world have a head coach right. of an NFL team. These people are seasoned leaders. They're veterans. They're, they're brilliant minds. And yet they lose three games in a row and they come on for the post-game press conference and they say something to the effect of on Monday at practice, we're going to get back to the basics. And in football, that's, you know, some form of blocking and tackling and so forth. But it always makes me chuckle because I'm thinking to myself, if going back to the basics is how you're going to solve your problem, then why did you leave them in the first place? Like, why are you not doing the basics every day? If you really believe that getting back to the basics is going to solve your problem, then why are you not doing them every day? And when you peel back the layers and you study someone like Bill Belichick or Tom Brady or Kobe Bryant or Greg Popovich, uh, any of these elite performers in sport, and we can take it outside of sport. You know, we can talk about uh, Justin Timberlake or Beyonce. We can talk about the cast at Hamilton. When you really unpack what these folks do to perform at a high level, it always starts with the basics, always. And uh, to me, 
losing sight of that, or even worse, thinking that the basics are beneath us and that we don't need to do them is a very dangerous pitfall. And, you know, to me, I'm thinking, well, if, if Kobe Bryant and Tom Brady, they do the basics every day. Yeah. Then I guess I'm not too good for them either. So Alan Stein Jr. should be doing them as well. So for me, uh, I try to make sure that I'm sticking to the basics uh, as often as possible. But again, that is not easy to do. It's funny you mentioned fitness because when I, I'd say about Two years ago, you know, two and three years ago, I was really obsessed with all these sexy exercises. I don't know if you know Brian's friends. Uh, that's how that's how we know each other. For for people that don't know why I'm mentioning Brian right now, Brian Paris, my uncle. Um, Brian's our mutual our f- mutual friend, and his friend Steve Jordan. You know Steve Jordan? I don't know yeah. him personally, but certainly know who he is, and certainly right. has a very high level of fitness. Definitely. Yeah. He, he's been on the podcast about like five times, but <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve would, would literally call them sexy exercises and at, like that I would do. And I would just come up with all this new stuff. And I, you know, I'd be balancing on one leg on a BOSU ball, doing a curl to press or like just, just some, I would just do all this crazy stuff or balancing on a BOSU ball and doing, um, doing reverse flies with, a, you know, bouncing on a boast ball with one leg. It's just weird. Like, yeah. like crazy stuff. Right. Okay. <laughs> and now over the past like year, I've just done the most basic stuff. I probably have a very, you know, for push, pull and lower body, I probably have a variation of two different types of workouts for each. Yep. And you very, cause I'm not, this is the first year in my entire life that I am no longer an athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was even a college athlete for two years, and you know some of some of the some of the crazy uh, some of the implementations that I would throw in were were required. You yeah, know, of I course. Would, like, right? Yeah, I would do the I would you know I would do the, like the I would stand on one leg and do because I was a cheerleader, so I had to lift human beings over my head. I would stand on one leg and you know do a dumbbell press that way. Yep. And you know, because my understanding was like, okay, if I can do it on one leg, when I get to do it on two legs, it's gonna be so easy. Right. Um, but now. Now I'm just, I stick to the basics. I don't really need to move like a crazy person anymore. And, uh, and it's, and I've, you know, I've been at a higher level of fitness than I've ever been. My body fat is 6.3%. That's amazing. And and the, the thing too is it's, it's just making sure people know that it's not either or that the, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with doing some of the flashier stuff because I do, I can appreciate, especially as a coach that that does keep people engaged. It keeps it fun. Uh, I, there's a very small percentage of people that I think would be entertained by doing push-ups, pull-ups, dips, lunges, bodyweight squats for the rest of their life. So there's nothing wrong with adding other stuff to it. If, if it's something that you enjoy, um, you know, if it challenges you, I'm just saying, don't trade it for the basics. And, you know, a perfect example would be, uh, as we're recording this, we're right in the thick of March madness. You know, they, the elite eight games are on, uh, today. And, uh, let's just say that I'm watching, um, one of the games and a player does this, you know, he gets the ball in the low post and does this awesome turnaround fadeaway and, and makes the shot. Well, a mistake that a young player would make would be to go right outside to the playground or, or to their gym and try to mimic that shot because they haven't mastered the basics that are required for being able to perform that. So it's all about building the foundation. So there's nothing wrong 
with doing more advanced stuff. Now, if we're going to strict talk strictly about fitness, I think I could probably, cause I've spent my whole life in fitness. I think I could make an argument that, you know, standing blindfolded on one leg on a BOSU ball in your bare feet, doing a reverse fly probably doesn't add anything to your life. But if you like doing it and it's challenging and that's kind of the window dressing after you've done the most basic movements, I would never tell someone not to do it. I just think the mistake becomes when someone thinks that that's the only stuff they need. Mm -hmm. And this is where yeah, things get, get challenging because as an entrepreneur and someone that, that thrives on business, it's hard to sell the basics. That's why every two seconds, there's a new fitness program that comes up that claims they have the answer and that, you know, try these exercises and do these things. And, you know, if you do the, and, and that stuff is not necessary, but it does sell. And because most people don't want to commit to doing the basics, they want to take the easy way out. And they want to think that I don't need to do the basics because the basics are hard. I want to start doing some of this flashy stuff because it looks cooler. So this is in no way to say that doing the more advanced stuff isn't appropriate. I mean, on some level, as you, as you continue to get better at your craft, you will need to advance. I mean, I, I would never imply that, you know, during Kobe Bryant's workout, he's just in there doing a two hand chest pass against the wall for two hours. No, he masters the basics. And then he, he builds from there to do more advanced moves and do some more advanced things. But the key is people are, they're leaving the basics behind. And that is a, a grave, grave mistake. And I find even in my own life, anytime things start to get a little fuzzy, get a little blurry, I'm not performing at the level I think I'm capable of. I can usually retrace my steps and realize that I haven't been giving the basics the attention they deserve. Mm, yeah, we need the foundation. We need to even strengthen the foundation. Why not? So, Alan, I want to transition into another little segment here of relationships. I was told by Brian, talk about relationships with him. Yes, our man. <laughs> so, something I'm very right. passionate about. Absolutely. Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we'll start more surface level. Um you don't just come into the world with all these connections and you don't just get to work with all the people, all the superstar athletes that you've worked with just because you want to. Uh, obviously, there's some sort of forming and nurturing of a relationship. And I'm curious as to what that process looked like for you. Well, I've been very, very fortunate that I've always acknowledged that relationships are one of the most important currencies we have as human beings. And, you know, that, that in order to really strengthen relationships, you have to be intentional about it. And I found that when you, you come from a place of service, you know, when you, when you're more worried about the other person sometimes than you are yourself to a certain degree. Um, uh, and you're, you're focused on filling other people's buckets and adding value to other people's lives. Um, that that's a great way to attract the type of people that, that you end up wanting in your life. So, uh, and that's hard to do because, you know, most of us when we're younger, skew heavily towards being more selfish. You know, I meet you and immediately I'm thinking, what can you do for me? How can you help me? Who do you know that would be of value to me? And, and I was, I fell victim to that. Absolutely. And then over time, I've started to realize that you're actually much happier and more fulfilled when you take the opposite approach. So now when I meet you, I'm thinking, how can I add value to you? Who do I know that might be someone that can help you with what you're doing? What is it that you're trying to accomplish that I might be able to assist with or might know someone who can help you? And once I made that flip and started worrying more about serving others and filling other people's buckets, just naturally 
people started coming out of the woodwork uh, doing the same for me. And, and I didn't do any of that with any type of hidden agenda. You know, it wasn't, you know, I want to work with this player just because they're a great player. It's I want to work with this player because I do believe I can help them get better. And then over time, then you form a relationship. And, you know, one of my coaching mantras that I learned very early in my career, and I'm so thankful for is you have to connect first and you coach second. That that's the only way you can really get an athlete to buy in and to trust you and to do everything you're going to ask them to do is if you've created a connection. And that is the same truth for any relationship. You know, all of us should be able to look at any relationship in our life and think something to the effect of, it's not about me, it's about you. And even, even on this podcast, I mean, uh, I'm your guest, but this isn't about me. This is about you and, and more importantly, your listeners. And what do I have that I can share that I'm hoping is of value to you and your listeners? And, and that's what uh, coming from a place of service is about. And, and you had already mentioned our, our mutual friend, David Meltzer, who does that about as brilliantly as anyone I've ever met. I mean, that's why oh I consider gosh. him a mentor. He's He's wildly successful. He's incredibly happy and fulfilled. He's He's got a lot of wonderful things going on. And he unconditionally is a servant leader that pours into others. And, and that's something where um, you know I want to make sure that I continue to have that mindset. Uh, and then the other thing to realize too, you know, uh, relationships take time. You know, human relationships are all about connection. And you know, if you think about a TV, you, you plug in your TV one time. And then you probably don't unplug it until you move, but you plug it in one time and it stays connected. Well, that's not how human beings work. Human beings require daily deposits and constant touch points and constant connections, you know, so they're ever evolving. So relationships take a lot of time and the more time you're willing to devote, um, the more you're willing to serve the other person and, and, you know, um, pour into them, then the stronger the relationship will be. And, and, and I find that to be incredibly vital, but once again, that's not the sexiest part, you know, especially anything that takes time. Uh, I, I don't know if you watch much on Netflix. I love watching stuff on Netflix, especially documentaries, but, uh, there was a, there's a new show out or not a show. It's a movie and it's called the dirt. Uh, and it's a, it's kind of a, um, uh, a, a, it, it talks about Motley Crue and how Motley Crue, the big hairband of, of the eighties, uh, came to be. And while it was very entertaining and I enjoyed it and I thought the acting was brilliant, it was funny. Um, I didn't know a whole lot about Motley Crue cause I'm more of a hip hop guy. I found it fascinating, but the only part that really sucks from that is in a 90 minute movie, you can't really pay homage to what it took for them to be successful. It's like, you know, in a 90 minute Hollywood dramatic movie, it's like, hey, hey, you want to be in my band? Yeah, I'll be in your band. Sweet. Hey, two weeks later, we're playing at Madison Square Garden. Hey, two weeks later, we just have a, a, a platinum record. Hey, two weeks later. It's like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't happen that fast. Like you have to be willing to play in some pretty lowly clubs and garages for years and years and years before you well, yeah, ever well, get an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. If we're, if we're talking about in a movie, like it's, you know, it's, it's literally three minutes later. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and even if yeah. they put the, the, the timestamp on it, Hey, you know, nine months later or two years later, it just doesn't do it justice. It, it, it goes back to, it kind of pumps us full of these things thinking, you know what? I might start a band tonight and I bet you I could probably be as good as Motley Crue in a couple years because, and it, it just doesn't work that way. And same thing with relationships, you know, certainly, um, sometimes you can be drawn to someone and you can, you can develop a, a relationship, uh, quicker than maybe others. But, you know, before you hit record on this, you know, I told you that I've known your uncle Brian for over 15 years. I mean, like that's, 
that's a long time. Uh, and, and we're not BFFs by any means, but it took a long time for us to be able to develop that type of relationship. It's not like I met him a week ago and he's just like, hey, Jordan, you should have Alan on your show. We've both built up mutual credit over 15 years of having a friendship and, and these things do take time. So, But if you're willing to invest in relationships and you're willing to put in the time, they can absolutely be, you know, your most valuable currency. And, you know, when I look back, you know, uh, I mean, it took, it took several years to be able to earn my way into working with one of the high school programs that produced some really high level players. And then I was there for seven years. And then that turned on to some other gigs that did some things that turned to something else to turn. And, you know, here I am 20, 25 years later, and still now just starting to reap some of the benefits of seeds that I had planted you know, well over a decade ago. So uh, relationships are, are the lifeblood of everything we do. And because of that, we have to be willing to invest in them. Mm. Listeners don't need to hear me go on another rant about, not a rant, but another monologue about the long game. But I want to highlight that you are playing the long game, Alan. And that is how the game is best played, in my opinion. Always. People are so short-sighted looking for that quick win. You're not looking for that quick win. And I appreciate that. I got to acknowledge you for that. Cool. So that's awesome. Yeah. So I got a couple final questions here. Sure. What advice would you give to a college student getting ready to enter the real world? Well, it would be the same advice that I give my children who I have twin sons that turned nine last Saturday, and I've got a daughter that will be seven in June. And that is nice. get crystal clear on what you love to do, get crystal clear on what you're really good at, and then find where those two points intersect. And where those two points intersect will, will be your strength zone. And, and that strength zone will give you the highest chance of not only being successful at what you do, but also enjoying the ride and being happy and fulfilled while you'll do it. And keep in mind that, that those two points of intersection when you're 23 might not be the same as when you're 43, but it's, it's constant. It's so important to have the awareness to constantly recalibrate. So don't worry uh, about taking a job just because it has a prestigious title or just because it makes a lot of money or just because take a job because you really believe that you can add value to that position. Uh, and because it's something that you're good at and love to do. And, um, and, and, you know, that's the neat part about the way the world is now, especially with technology. You know, it was much more limited 25 years ago when, when I was in that position, you know, more people were just looking to be hired by a conventional job. And then you would stay in that job for 30 years and then you would retire and then you would start to enjoy life. I mean, that's what my parents did. And now, you know, uh, if you don't see anything out there that suits you, you can start your own business or you can find a startup of, of young driven people that want to do big things that you want to do. So uh, in that regard, there are so many opportunities now, uh, but that would be the, the initial piece of advice is get that strength zone and get crystal clear on it. And then the other really would just be a summation of everything you and I have already talked about, you know, hone your self-awareness, really get to know yourself inside and out, uh, work on the basics uh, of, of what it takes to lead. Even if you don't consider yourself a leader, even if someone's going to hire you and they're not putting you in a position of authority, there's one thing that will never go out of style and that's leadership. And in any organization, leaders are always in demand. Leaders are always the highest paid in any organization. I mean, you know, we referenced the Patriots. Who, who are the two biggest leaders with the Patriots? Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, without question. And both of them are pretty heavily compensated for what they do. 
So working on leadership skills is always a sound investment, uh, not only in your vocation, but I mean, they, I know for a fact, I mean, they help me as a better father. They help me as a better speaker, uh, as an entrepreneur. So constantly sharpen your, your sword as a leader, uh, because that is, that's going to have so much utility in anything that you do and, and, and keep focusing on the basics. And if you do those things, then, then naturally you'll just start to find yourself in the right place at the right time. And you'll see all sorts of opportunities come up. And, you know, uh, as we already said, invest in relationships, surround yourself with really great people that, 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 that have the habits and, and live the life that you aspire to, you know, one of the oldest adages, uh, I always used in, in basketball was, you know, if you're the best player at your playground, you need to find a new playground. Because you're not being challenged. You're not going to get better if you're already the best. So, you know, for guys like you and I, uh, let's continue to surround ourselves with guys like David Meltzer and JT McCormick and Brian Paris so that we can continue to push ourselves to be the best that we're capable of. And, you know, um, I did portions of that when I was coming out of college, but certainly didn't do it to the degree that looking back, I wish I would have. And, you know, uh, I live far from a perfect life now. I'm fallible like everyone else listening to this, but at 43 now, I do a much better job of those things. So they haven't gone out of style. I mean, that's the advice I would give my nine-year-olds. That's the advice I would give a 21-year-old coming out of college. And it's the same advice I look in the mirror and give myself every single day. Mm, this is spot on advice, Alan. And I want to actually go back to something you said in the very beginning of that. Uh, it was the intersection of what you love and what you're good at at 23 might not be the same at 43. And that even goes for, for relationships. You know, when you're 21, you want to, you want a Ferrari when you're 30, your needs kind of change. And I'm making the Ferrari analogy into a, like relationships, of your course. needs just just change. And that's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately myself being 21. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's something to consider for sure. Now, Alan, uh, so you cut that out. I'm not perfect. I mess up sometimes. Anyway, <laughs> we, we all do. Um, I mean, don't, and don't, yeah. don't even worry about it. That's part of what we do. And, you know, anytime anyone messes up, uh, which we all do, uh, what uh -oh. I found is, uh, you own it, you acknowledge it, you learn from it. Mm -hmm. So what can I pull from this? And then you flush it and you, you're done with it and you move on. And that's, you know, whether it's just a, a temporary flub, like when we're recording a podcast or you end up buying a Ferrari when you shouldn't have, cause you don't have the money either way, acknowledge it, own it. Don't blame mm -hmm. anyone else for the mistake, learn from it. And then flush it and move on. Because if you if you spend time keep worrying about the mistake you made, then you're you're looking through the rearview mirror and not through the windshield. And that's you're never going to perform at your highest level when you're looking backwards. There you have it. I won't cut out my flub there. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> no, that was great. Uh, so I want to do a speed round here. I'm going to say a couple of words. First thing that comes to mind. Okay, sure. You say it. Okay. Sports. Love. Communication. Important. Relationships. Vital. Love. Caring. Fun. Sports. <laughs> Curiosity. Youth. Okay, okay. And then my last one, Alan Stein Jr. Still trying to figure it out. <laughs> Don't know if I have a, a one-word answer for that. You know, it's... 
uh, it's funny because, you know, um, once I had children, my perspective on everything in the world changed because then you realize, you know, that you've brought some other people into this world and you start thinking a lot, at least I do. I, I don't want to put this on anyone else. I, I started thinking a lot about my own mortality and that I'm not going to be here forever. You start thinking about legacy. You know, for me, I, I constantly recalibrate and think, you know, if, if something catastrophic were to happen to me tomorrow at present, have I done everything possible to pour into my children, um, to give them the best chance at being happy, fulfilled and successful at their current ages. And I use that as a barometer all of the time to hopefully let me do a better job of living present. Uh, so when you ask me what I think of, when I think of myself, um, it, it's a sliding scale, you know, I'm the happiest that I've ever been in my life. I'm the most fulfilled that I've ever been. Uh, I think success usually is, I mean, it's, it's something that we should define for ourselves, but by using outside metrics, this is the most successful that I've ever been. And I'm, I'm getting better at things like living in the present moment and self-awareness. Uh, but with all of that said, and that comes with a certain level of confidence. And, but with all of that said, uh, I certainly have the humility to realize all of those areas can and need and should continue to get better. And that if something catastrophic were to happen to me tomorrow, yeah, I think I've done a pretty good job planting seeds with my kids, but I haven't done the best job that I'm capable of. And that's something that motivates me moving forward and will motivate me for today. So when I think of, of my own life, uh, there are certain portions of pride and there's tremendous amount of gratitude. I've had an amazing life thus far, uh, but there's not an ounce of complacency or contentment. I've still got so much more that I want to do. And, you know, it's always neat because, you know, I mean, you're mathematically about half my age, I'm 43. Uh, and yet mathematically, I'm only about halfway through this journey, barring something catastrophic. I mean, there's no reason I shouldn't live another 40 years of sound mind and body because I, I work hard to take care of myself. So, I mean, that, that gives me tremendous excitement to know that I'm kind of only at the halfway mark. Like this, this is the halftime speech and you know, uh, that's pretty awesome because I've, I've got so much more that I want to do and so many more experiences I want to have. So when I hear my own name, it, it kind of balances out between, uh, those two different ends. Hmm, it is pretty awesome. If you want to learn more, if you want to raise your game the way Alan has raised his game and his business and life, if you want to raise your game the way he's done for his clients and his athletes, you go to raiseyourgamebook.com. The book is on Amazon as well, but you can get a preview of the book at raiseyourgamebook.com. And then alansteinjr.com is your personal website. Alan, it's been a pleasure having you on. Before I ask my final question, got to acknowledge you for playing the long game, as I already said, and for practicing what you preach and for your message of getting back to the basics. I think it's a fantastic service. What else is a fantastic service is that you have a unique experience that you've had in your life working with these athletes and not everyone, not many people get that experience and you're sharing that. So I thank you and acknowledge you for that, Alan. No, my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to share with you and, and share with your listeners. Uh, our attention in the present moment is the most precious gift we have to give another human being. So uh, that doesn't fall lightly on me that that you've been fully present and, and engaged in this conversation for just short of an hour and that your listeners are making time out of their incredibly busy schedules to listen to both of us. And, and again, I don't take that for granted for one second. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. So, Alan, my final question. There's a lot of lessons that you teach, right, and that we've talked about today. If you could teach a course at a university, a course of your creation or otherwise, 
what would that course be called? It'd be called uh, some derivative of emotional intelligence. It would be um, letting folks know that because most of what's done in college is to teach the IQ side, is to teach the academic side. And I've always felt, even at the youngest of ages, I mean, uh, I've got my daughter standing here next to me right now who's in first grade, you know, uh, that even in elementary, middle school, and high school, that more attention should be given to the emotional intelligence side not just the IQ side. EQ is equally important. And I would teach something along those lines um, and and cover things like self-awareness and empathy and compassion and tolerance. Um, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to sound too cliche and too dramatic, but you know, if everyone in the world increased their emotional intelligence at the snap of a finger, the vast majority of problems we see would cease to exist. Now, I'm not talking about things like global warming. That's a little bigger picture. But when you see all of you know the systemic racism and you see uh, violence and you see all of the, the atrocious stuff that goes on in our world, usually it's from lack of tolerance, lack of compassion, lack of empathy, lack of awareness, uh, not understanding you know, that it's okay to be angry, but how you use that anger is incredibly important. And if you use it in a destructive way to lash out at others, that's certainly not something that's helping the world. So, um, I, I sound like I'm, I'm, you know, at the Miss Universe contest about how I want to improve world peace, but uh, emotional intelligence to me is the, the focal point of improvement for everything that we do. Alan Stein Jr. Raise your game on Amazon. Get that book. You're the man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. I appreciate you. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of the Growth Mindset University podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, I would really appreciate it if you could leave us a quick five-star rating in iTunes. All you have to do is grab your iPhone or iPad, open up the Apple Podcast app, hit the search tab, search the show Growth Mindset University, or just search my name, Jordan Paris, tap the show, scroll all the way to the bottom, and then just hit that fifth star. And that helps us tremendously in ways that you could never even imagine. It means the absolute world to me when people do this. I would be eternally grateful if you do that. We're pushing 100 ratings right now, and it's really making a difference for this show. And of course, if you've not already subscribed to the show, just make sure you do that wherever you're listening to so that you don't miss that next episode. I know you're not going to want to miss it. And you only heard this episode today because I thought it was valuable enough to post here. So if you want to share that value with your friends, your family, go ahead and do that. Share this episode with them. Take a screenshot, send it to them. Take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram story and tag me at J underscore Paris underscore so that I know you're listening and I can get back to you and put a face to the name. Now, if you're ready to really take your life to the next level, my book is on Amazon. It is also called Growth Mindset University. It's all about how to learn anything, how to take control of your life, and how to fulfill your vision of success. And you're not just supporting me and this channel by getting this book, but you're also getting this awesome book that's going to lay out the rules and principles to design your life full of joy and fulfillment. All right, I love you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn, and grow to give. <laughs>